You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm speaking with Alexander Fee. He is a programmer who works with the Japan Society, and he is talking to me about a program of films that they have going on right now called the Flash Forward series. Check it out at japansociety.org and enjoy the interview. Alexander Fee, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into film programming. So I went to University of Chicago over there. They still have film society, a student-run film society, Doc Films. And I think that's kind of like where I first learned how to program film. It's like basically one of the last kind of thresholds where, you know, you're basically running this like a film, a theatrical venue. I learned how to project 16 mil, 35 mil. I, you know, made posters. I programmed series. My first one was like a body horror series. I think that's kind of like where I began to kind of program and realized that programming was a kind of avenue that you could go into. I only graduated about three years ago, 2018. So after I graduated, I mostly did kind of projection gigs. I work at Facets Multimedia. They had their own 35 millimeter, 16 millimeter archive. So I helped working in their collections and kind of start loaning those out as well as inspecting the prints. And I also worked at like the Art Institute of Chicago. They had a Warhol exhibit. So I got to project 16 mil for them. Recently, I've just joined Japan Society within the past year. I'm doing specifically Japanese film, but when I started out at Doc, I did everything from Polish to Korean to Japanese and just kind of learned a lot by working with kind of international distributors and archives. Well, tell me about the Japan Society. Where are they at? What are you guys doing? And how can people participate? We're based out of New York City and Midtown. Basically, we're in an arts organization that focuses on Japanese arts and culture. And so we have different departments, we have education, so you can take language classes online right now. We also have a gallery department where we exhibit Japanese art. We have performances and film. We basically have a whole plethora of options when it comes to interacting and engaging with Japanese culture. But right now we're kind of reopening a bit but we still have a lot of online and virtual content which as you can see this series is mostly online this series is kind of a special one it's the second aca cinema project which is a ongoing series and program that we have where we're co-presenting it with the agency for cultural affairs in association with vipo who are the 
visual industry promotion organization in Japan. The first one was in February, and it's been mostly online. It's kind of a way to bring awareness of contemporary Japanese film as well as the past 30 years. But we also are probably best known for organizing, or Japan Society is, Japan Cuts, which is our yearly contemporary Japanese film festival, where we kind of highlight the past year of film and bring actors, directors to Japan Society and to New York. And I think one of the special things about what we do is we almost exclusively work with. Distributors in Japan. So we kind of bring access of these films that don't generally get shown in the US. And for the remainder of the year, we kind of focus on retrospectives and we still do 35 millimeter, 16 millimeter when we can. Well, how do you decide and is it you deciding what gets shown at a particular festival? It depends on each program. For Flash Forward, our, our current series, this was mostly organized by Vipo. And we were more consultants, but we also, you know, helped kind of guide direction because we knew from the beginning that the program was going to focus on debut works as well as a later film by the same filmmaker. And most of these filmmakers are established in Japan, but probably not as well known in the US. But it goes program by program. And sometimes we have society wide initiatives upcoming in the new year. We're hoping to focus on Okinawa. Throughout Japan society, we will have a film program that kind of focuses on some of the cinema from Okinawa. Sometimes we also work with guest curators. So it's, it's of a mix of things. It's really nice to have collaborations when you have programming, I think. Well, with this current program that you're talking about, what are some of your favorites that you've seen? To say them, it's, it's Naomi Kawase, Miwa Nishikawa, Suichi, Okira, Junji Sakamoto, Akihiko, Shioda, and Masayuki Suo. They're all very distinctive and they have like very much their own voice. And they all kind of debuted from, I would say, 1989 all the way up to 2009 ish. I think that's where the series spans for the debuts. One of the ones I was really impressed by was Knockout, which is a boxing film. And it's somewhat based on the lead actor's life, who was actually a, a pro boxer who had kind of a traumatic brain injury. During a, a fight, but Sakamoto, who directs it, kind of puts a very kind of satirical edge to it. It's also very bleak, it's funny, but the main actor, and as well as, you know, he's a boxer as well,、uh, has this really macho, headstrong attitude. And it's kind of fascinating. I, I think, and it was a word of mouth hit in Japan when it was first released. I think it's quite a gem, and I, I really enjoy that one. Other ones, Naomi Kawase's debut. Suzaku was really quite lovely, especially just the way it's shot. It's, it's just kind of unlike many other films, it's very naturalistic. It kind of comes from her beginning work, which was mostly eight millimeter documentary filmmaking. So it, it's very much in the lineage of that. And she also shot it with a lot of basically an aim to kind of base it in reality because the town that she shot it in. Also, was suffering from a lot of the same issues that are kind of seen in the film, like an abandoned railroad project. So, those are two of my favorites. I mean, I think all of them are really fascinating in their own different ways. But, I mean, Fancy Dance is also one to look out for. They're all kind of really wonderful ways to see how diverse Japanese film is, especially since a lot of focus has been Ozu Kurosawa, Mizuguchi, kind of the classic cinema. 
But when you focus on the post-studio films, there's still so many auteurs who are underseen when you talk about Japanese film. It feels like Japanese film is this undiscovered country sometimes. You know, we are getting a little bit more when it comes to South Korean films, but when it comes to Chinese and Japanese films, it's still very tough to see a lot of stuff. And then when it comes to you know, your local art house theater, it feels like they're going to much more be likely to do a Kurosawa retrospective than your latest filmmaker. One of my questions for you is what kind of trends do you see in Japanese films these days? Because I don't see that many to even be able to tell, oh, it feels like, you know, economic hardships or gender relationships or whatever. Like, I don't even know what the, the themes of a lot of the latest Japanese films are. It is hard to tell and it's hard to parse because of how different the industry is because it's almost focused, you know, the distribution companies in Japan are more kind of, they're not reliant on international distribution. It's it's very much catering towards Japan as a country. I think there's always going to be family dramas are always big. You have genre as well. But the biggest change in the past, I don't know, since the 90s, it's kind of like the, the increase in female filmmakers. So Naomi Kawase and Miwa Nishikawa are included, but lately there's been more that are kind of coming out. And it's definitely a great thing. It's a good trend to see. I think contemporary Japanese film, yeah, is not really as well distributed in the US, aside from maybe Kiyoshi Kurosawa, you'll see his film or the new Koreeda film when that's, you know, whenever he puts out a new one. So it's always exciting to see that there are really there's a big independent film scene coming out of Japan as well, which doesn't get shown as often either. But it's, it's very different than, you know, the time of Kurosawa and Mizuguchi back when it was like a studio system similar to Hollywood, where there were these big kind of mammoth studios. You know, actors were contracted to, to a specific studio. But no, it's a really fascinating kind of area to look to how much did you know about Japanese film before you ended up working at the Japan Society? Like I mentioned with Doc Films, that was kind of like my main kind of introduction, not necessarily to world cinema, but I think it was a way to kind of discover some more underseen. I think one of the series I kind of worked on that I organized was the series on Seijun Suzuki, which was programmed by Will Carroll, who was a PhD student at the time at U Chicago. And he was, you know, very much into kind of these deeper cuts of Suzuki. So it's it's funny to say that, like, all of the Suzuki films that I first saw, which were like, I think it was like a 10 film series, you know, it doesn't include the ones you would think of. They're, you know, A Tale of Sorrow and Sadness from 1977, which was like his first movie he made after being fired from Nikatsu, which is this crazy kind of golfing movie. My understanding of Japanese film is, you know, of course the classics, but then... Definitely, I kind of got into more obscure film. So also, I'm a huge Nobuhiko Obayashi fan. I know everybody's seen Haosu, but he did, you know, these wonderful films afterwards in the 1980s that range from horror to drama. The Little Girl Who Conquered Time is one of my favorites of his. I think there's so many fascinating avenues to go to. But I think for me, yeah, I mean, I had a good basis in Japanese film. It isn't necessarily where I expect it to be, but it's also very exciting to be in a position where you can explore it more. And being confined to one country doesn't really necessarily limit you because you can really work with that 
and kind of find new avenues of, you know, what a Japanese film is. The first time I really encountered Japanese film was when I was really young, I would watch TCM all the time. And, you know, they would play, I think during October, mostly, you know, horror films, Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan were all like big films for me. One of the first Japanese DVDs I remember buying Battle Royale on a bootleg DVD from Horror Hound Convention in Cincinnati, which is where I'm from in Ohio. So, you know, getting like access to these films, genre was a really easy way to do it. But I mean, it's all encompassing. The industry has, you know, so many different niches and, and it's really exciting. There's so much to explore. Who do you think are some of the filmmakers that we should be looking out for coming up on, over the next few years? For Japan Cuts, one of our recent films that we showed was this film called The Goldfish Dreaming of the Sea, which was directed by Sarah Ogawa, who is this actress who has started to kind of make films. It was produced by, maybe it wasn't produced by him, but she was kind of taught by Koreda, his cinematographer from Afterlife worked on it. And it's kind of this very beautiful, naturalistic film. I found her to be quite impressive, the film itself. Hoping, I'm sure there's others that I'm blanking on right now. But I think there's a, a younger generation right now that are quite interesting. And that's basically the aim of what we do with Japan Cuts. We have a slate next generation where we kind of look at independent films and see who could be on like this next generation of you know, filmmakers on par with you know, the current ones that everybody knows. You're constantly watching movies, trying to figure out. And, and every now and then you come across one that's kind of a gem and it kind of impresses you. We'll see. I, I'm going to start working on the next Japan Cuts pretty soon. And I'm sure I'll have some names for you soon. Did you start this gig during the pandemic? I did, actually. With the pandemic, I was at that time still projecting. And, you know, obviously all the movie theaters shut down. So I kind of no longer had kind of a position as a projectionist. But obviously, I had always wanted to continue curating and programming. So I kind of took an internship position with Japan Society virtually because I was still in Chicago. And from there, it just kind of things worked out. And now I'm in a position where I am working for Japan Society. But it's, it's surprising to start a arts or film actually position during the pandemic, especially considering how the industry has completely changed. So one of the big things I think of working on it is working with virtual cinema, which is very, very different than, you know, in person. You don't get to see the audience react to your films as much. Also, what I've learned, especially working with Japan Society here, is a lot about making new subtitles, resyncing things. And a lot of the films that we get from distributors sometimes don't have subtitles attached to them. So we get sent spot and list or, you know, just the actual text. And so we have to kind of manually put them in. And this is usually the case with some of the older films. So it's a challenge, but it's also really great to be able to make these works accessible, I think, in the end. And it pays off. It's really fascinating to work in a virtual environment because there's so much different kind of skill set that you need to use when you do it. So where are you at now, like physically? Oh, I just, I moved to New York over the summer. You know, I've been in the Midwest for most of my life. So it's a, it's a big change. It's really exciting. I feel like everything, you know, all of the movie theaters here are so fascinating and their programming is so exciting to be a part of. For me, especially, you know, repertory curation is, is really my passion. And so you see places like Film Forum, Metrograph, 
MoMA, just doing amazing programming. So it's, it's really cool to be a part of that. But I, you know, I still love what Chicago had. We had Doc Films, the Cisco Music Box Theater. So it's, it's, it's a big change, but it's, it's obviously kind of like the center of film culture, it seems. So if people want to find out more about this program and then future programs, where's the best place to go? You can go on japansociety.org where you can go to our film tab. Uh, but also if you want to see at what our streaming options are for our film, you can go on film.japansociety.org. Well, Alexander, thank you so much for your time, sir. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.